If you would, 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. And we want to... We'll spend more than one week on this message, I promise you. How many, I'm not sure. But If you would, 1 Samuel 17. And let's begin by looking at verse 17 and reading a few verses here. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this epaph of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commanders of their unit. See how your brothers are doing and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd and loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left things with the keeper of supplies and ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. And as they were talking, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He'll also give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing there, um, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies? Of the living God. I want to spend a few minutes this morning talking about five keys to defeating the giant. Five keys to defeating the giant. Father, we thank you for your word and we ask you just to give us insights in how we can take this wonderful true story of the shepherd boy toppling the giant and apply it to our lives as we face the various giants that try to keep us from our inheritance and keep us from our, our victory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Five keys to defeating the giant. This is part one. There'll be a few parts. And again, this is the familiar story of David, the young shepherd boy, defeating Goliath, that nine foot nine Philistine champion of war, who for 40 days and nights he defied and insulted and mocked the armies of the living God, the people of God, and their God. In David's victory, we obviously will recognize and be encouraged um, for the battles that we face, but, but we should also receive some insight, instruction for the times when we're faced, can't be avoided. We're faced to confront the giants of life that come in different shapes, that come in different seasons, that they come in different degrees, they come in different ways. And in this lesson, we want to look at five things that David did that sometimes we can overlook when we read the story. Sometimes we can um, kind of miss certain keys that kind of help David come to this point in life and have this wonderful victory. It's important to remember because in life, a giant of a problem will confront you. If not now, it shall. 
It could be a, you call it a mountain, a storm, you call it what you want. It could be a person, it could be a crisis. If you're in school, it could be a math course. But there will be a giant, there will be a mountain, there will be a storm that tries to hinder you and turn you back in your walk with God. And God wants us to do our part to see the victory. In these next couple of weeks, I want to cover these five keys that David did that helped him Get the victory. Now, um, our outline will simply be, number one, realize your covenant. Realize your covenant. Number two, remain undercover. Position yourself. Don't make it hard for God to bless you. There's a sermon all by itself. Don't make it hard for God to bless you. Remain undercover. Release a positive confession. Number four, it's going to be resolve to act in courage. Make up your mind. I won't be moved by what I see. I'll be moved by what I know. I won't be moved by the threats and the taunts of the enemy. I will be moved by the sure promises of the living God who are yes and amen. And lastly, remember the completion of the task. Cut his head off. Sometimes you go so far and then the thing comes back to life. Finish it off. You've got to cut off that relationship. Cut it off once and for all in the name of Jesus. Stop flirting with it. Stop going back to it. Cut it off in Jesus' name. Don't know who that was for, but take it and run. Amen. Number one, David realized his covenant. The first key that sometimes we we miss over. And it's important that we know and we believe. And we act according to what the Scripture says concerning who we are in Christ and what we have in the Lord and who our God is and what He decrees about the giants that we face. But David realized his covenant. For instance, look at verses 32 through 37. And I noticed some of these things David says, and we can't quote them all to hear it. This is good. David said to Saul, finally when he gets in front of the king, let no one's heart, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. I love that. He's a young guy, but he's confident. Let no one lose heart. Chill, king. Stop fretting. You're fretting about nothing. Let no one lose heart on account of this king. Your servant will go and fight him. And of course, when you step out in faith, not everyone's cheering you on. But Saul says, you're not able. You can't do it. You can't go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're just a boy. He's been fighting. He's been a fighting man since he was a boy. David said, listen, your servant's been keeping his father's sheep. And a lion and a bear came out and carried off a sheep from the flock. I went after it. I struck it down, rescued the sheep from its mouth, and when it turned on me. You see, when you start dealing with giants in your life, they'll turn on you. That's why you got to chop the head off. That's why you got to finish the course. That's why you can't flirt with that thing that's not of God. You got to finish it. You got to close it and never look back at it in the name of Jesus. He says, because when you're, it's a dangerous thing when you start rescuing lambs from the mouths of lions. Because the lion, it turned on me. And it see, and I had to seize it, and I struck it, and I killed it. And, and guess what? Um, your servant killed a lion, killed the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine, uns- he's not a covenant person. He's not part of the family. He doesn't lay claim to the land or the promises. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Why? Because he's defied the armies of the living God. He dared to stand against God. He stands alone. He's just a man even though he's a big man. But I don't stand alone, David says. I stand with the living God because I'm in covenant with this God. Hallelujah. What's that next verse? The Lord. See, it's not in David's prowess. It's not even in David's skill. It's not even in David's experience. The Lord. 
who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. He will. Somebody say, He will. I want you to know that giant's going to go down. God's brought you through other giants and this one will be like that. There's different ways, there's different scores, there's different schemes, but the God who called you, the God who so mercifully saved you, He is with you. He won't leave you. He won't fail you. Yes, I know giants are ugly. Yes, I know their words can be intimidating, but the Lord says greater is He that's within you than he that's in the world. He began it. He'll complete it. Keep trusting, keep walking, keep living. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the bear and delivered me from the lion, He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Let's notice, number one, David realized his covenant. See, David realized he was in covenant with the living God. And folks, that's a powerful thing. When you can realize that, that changes everything. That takes you from being, I'm just a poor old sinner saved by grace. Enough with that nonsense after a while. You're a son, you're a daughter of the living God. You're in covenant, you're a joint heir with Christ. You've got great and precious promises. (laughs) When David, he realized that. And it affected the way that he thought, and the way that he acted, the way that he angered. It affected the way that he spoke. It affected the way that he lived. You see, God had made a covenant with Israel. God had chosen them and made a covenant with them. He gave them the sign. Circumcision was that sign. He gave them the promises of the land and the inheritance and the victory. He gave them the stipulations to follow till the smile of heaven would always be upon them. And and you notice how he refers to Goliath as that uncircumcised, not in the covenant Philistine. Whoever he is, how bad he thinks he is, how ugly his threats are, but he's not in covenant covenant with the one that holds the very breath of every man. It ordains the next heartbeat of every person. And David says, I'm in covenant with that God. And He's promised this land to His people. He's promised victory. He's promised blessing. And I'm going to walk in that. Now, David, you remember that old um, American Express commercial? It says, membership has its privileges. When you get saved, you can say sonship has its privileges. And we're covenant people. Like David, we have been chosen. From our mother's womb, I knew you, he said. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And we were chosen and we have been grafted in and we have by the blood brought to a place of reconciliation with God where we are now His sons and His daughters and His blood has sealed and His Spirit has abides and we are now a people with the privileges and the promises, the assurances, authority, because of the blood of Jesus, we have an enduring covenant. We have a settled, established relationship with the Almighty God. He's our Heavenly Father, and we are His sons, and He are His daughters. And that should affect the way we walk through life. That should affect the way we respond to life. So when you're facing The giants of life. Don't be terrorized or don't be intimidated by them. But remember that you're in covenant with the Almighty God. Giants come in different shapes and in different forms. 
Giants come. You might be facing a giant of an unseen future. You're a little intimidated about what the future holds. But God says, in my covenant, I've decreed that you can be strong and of a good courage. You don't have to be afraid or dismayed because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You might not see what's going to happen in September, but God says, I see it from here. You might not know what's over the next hill, but don't you be afraid. You're not going to walk there alone. We're in covenant. We have an agreement. The blood was shed to seal it and confirm it. And I'm not reneging on it. So hold on to your promise and walk through life with a confidence and with a courage, with a certainty. Though you might not know what goes ahead of you, the Lord your God, who is great and mighty, He's mighty to save, He's mighty to heal, He's mighty to be our shield and our shelter, He'll walk with you. He'll escort you. Don't you dare fear what tomorrow holds, for your covenant has decreed God is with you wherever, wherever, wherever you go. There's giants in life, and sometimes that giant is merely the future and what it holds. There's giants in life. There's fiery furnaces that sometimes we have to walk through. Sometimes we have to go through things that can be overwhelming and intimidating, but even even in those times, the covenant declares when you go through the waters, they won't drown you. And when you go through the fires, God says they won't burn you. You might have to go through some things. We don't run away from every giant. Some storms we go through. But God says my grace is sufficient for you. God says I'll walk with you through it and it won't consume you. It won't crush you. For the Lord thy God is with you. David recognized he was a man in covenant with the living God. And that affected how he saw life, how he responded to life, how he spoke about life. And I declare to you this day, if you are a child of God, if you've come to Jesus, you can walk with a confidence and you can walk with a certainty. The Lord your God in the midst of thee is mighty. He is mighty. There's giants in the land and they're not always easy. There's giants of an unforeseen future. There's giants of present trials. There's giants, if I can be honest, in God's house. There's no sense in us playing games because Monday comes and out comes the devil. There's giants of ungodly temptation. Now look straight at me. Don't look at the person next to you. No, a tempter is real. Isn't there a tempter out there? Oh no, he tempts you. He might tempt you to fear. He might tempt you to doubt. He might tempt you to give into a fleshly what you shouldn't give. He might tempt you to have an unkind mouth. Tempter out there. But you know we got a covenant that when that giant of temptation comes, we can stand. It is written, 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, God says your covenant decrees that no temptation that comes against you that's common to man. It's just something everyone goes through. Everyone goes through temptation. Everyone goes through hearing the intimidations and the lures of the enemy. But your God is a faithful God. Your God is faithful when you're all alone. Your God is faithful when you're on the job surrounded by all those people that don't love Him. Your God is faithful when you're in places where people are urging you on to sin. Where the hell of uh, the enemy is urging you on to follow Him. But God's 
says, I am a faithful God and I will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. There is no giant of temptation. Again, fearing is temptation. Not believing is temptation. All these things you put in the blank. God says, I will not allow there to be a giant of temptation that ever comes against you that is more powerful than you. For I am with you. I will not. He says, I will not allow you to be tempted above what you can bear. But with every temptation, I'm going to make a way of escape so you can bear it. So there will be temptations that say just give up on God. There will be temptations give, give in to sin. There will be temptations that say just go back and don't obey. But God says when those giants show up, don't you be afraid. I've got a promise with your name on it. I've got a blessing you can lay hold of. It is written. It is written. No temptation will ever come against you. But what is common to man, and God says, because I'm so faithful, I will not allow. God says, I'm in control. And I'm not going to allow there to be a giant that you cannot withstand. There won't be a temptation that you cannot overcome by My Word and by My Spirit. Somebody say Amen. I know, no, no, no. God don't want to embarrass it, but I want you to write that down. If you haven't memorized that, it's going to be one of the first things you memorize when you get saved. When you're young, you got temptations. When you're old, you got temptations. Seasons change, but temptations, they might change the bait. But there's still the old nature of saying, you know, doubting God's word is, is sin. Doubt. Hath God said? That's right in the beginning, isn't it? That keeps people from obeying. That keeps people from stepping out, doesn't it? Yeah. There's different things that we do. And the tempter. And God says, you know, there's a giant called temptation. And you can overcome that tempter. And you can defeat that giant. And you can be free from his harassment, saith the Lord. So again, so again, so again. You look at King Saul and all the other soldiers. For some reason, they were just looking at the size of the giant Instead of the size of their God and the faithfulness of His Word and the trustworthiness of His covenant. But David, you see, David knew he was different and so were you. David knew he had a special, a unique relationship with the Almighty God and so do you. He knew that he had something that the Philistines had no part of. He knew that he possessed great and precious promises from the mouth of the living God Himself. He understood that God had given that land to Israel. Israel, that God had promised Israel that, that I'll give you victory as you conquer that land. David knew from the Word that the God he served and the God we serve has promised to give us victories in our battles and blessings upon our labors and peace, the shalom of God within our families. That's part of the wonderful covenant we have as sons and daughters. David knew Deuteronomy 28. The Lord says the Lord will cause your enemies that come against you to be defeated by you. They might come out one way. God says they're going to flee seven ways when I get on them. Oh, Lord, have mercy. David understood that he was a man of covenant and a man of promise. And he accepted that. And he acted upon that. And when you come to Jesus, you enter into a new life and a new family. You have a new relationship with God. 
It, it comes with promises and privileges. It comes with responsibilities and stipulations. The Bible is full of these wonderful promises. Let's just think of one. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Because of the blood of Jesus, you are now a chosen people and a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You're a people that belong to God. You're a people. And when I understand that, it affects how I face my problems. It affects how I think about my situations. It moves me to walk as God would have me to walk. For the Bible tells me in Hebrews that the covenant David have is good, but the covenant you and I have is a better covenant. And it has better promises. And it speaks to so many wonderful things to know that we're in covenant with God. It speaks to you and I about God's continual care for our lives. For the Bible says the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. The Bible says He never sleeps or slumbers, but He watch over us as we go out, as we come in. It says that we're the apple of His eye and He holds us in the hollow of His hand. That as His eye is on the sparrow, His eye is upon those that He has redeemed. When I talk about my covenant, it reminds me of the continual care that my God places upon me. It reminds me of the ability He has given me to stand in the time of battle and to prevail in the time of opposition. It reminds me that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Through the Savior who now lives within me by His Spirit. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ lives in me. I'm a covenant man. And it gives me an assurance that though in myself I might be weak, and in myself I might be frail, in the Lord I have strength to prevail. In the Lord I have the ability to stand and keep on standing, to trust and keep on trusting. It's a part of having a covenant with the living God, of understanding it, of accepting it, of embracing it. It tells me I have the authority from heaven to exercise in His name. Jesus said, in My name, you shall. Jesus says, in My name, you can. The Bible says we can resist the devil and he'll flee from our lives. Again, I have access to the very throne of grace. That is a privilege that comes with being in covenant from the living God. It tells me that I can draw near to that wonderful Counselor. That I can receive a touch from the great Physician. That I can be encouraged by the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. That I can go to that place and I can give him my burden. I can give him my pain. I can give him my confusion. And He'll give me His grace. And He'll give me His mercy. And He'll cleanse me with His love. Oh, ladies and gentlemen that know the Lord, understand this day who you are as a son and daughter of Jesus Christ and walk in that victory. Believe that victory and let it bless your life. Can you say amen? And it's important. That's so important though. Whatever your giant is, what does your covenant say about it? Let your covenant affect how you respond to it. How you think about it. How you speak to it. Recognize what Jesus has done and be fully persuaded in His care and in His grace for your life. Don't be moved. Stand firm. Stand firm. Rise of that old story. 
And if you've heard it before, just make believe you haven't and work with us. Amen. It reminds me of that old story that that captain, that captain looked out into the dark of the sea and he saw a light faint out there in the fog. And he told his radio man, quick, quick, give that, that, call that ship out there and tell him, um, alter your course, 10 degrees, 10 degrees. Answer came back, alter your course, 10 degrees. The captain wasn't happy about that. He says, now, now for you army people like me, a uh, captain's like a colonel where we're from. So, that, you know, that's a full bird colonel. So, um, <clears throat> he says, tell him, 10 degrees, alter, 10 degrees to the north. This is a captain speaking. Answer comes back. Alter your course, 10 degrees to the south. This is Seaman Third Class Jones. <laughs> captain finally said, enough and is enough. He says, tell him, alter your course immediately. This is a battleship. Answer came back, alter your course immediately. This is a lighthouse. <laughs> lighthouse. I'm not moving. There's a lighthouse. You see, when you, you're going to walk with God, a lot of things are going to try to uh, intimidate you. A lot of things are going to try to terrorize you. A lot of things are going to say, I'm coming to get te- that, 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 that temptation. Going to try to tell you, I'm going to overwhelm you. Uh-uh, I'm standing on the rock called Jesus. Amen. I shall not be moved. That, that lying devil is going to try to run. Give up on God. Give up your joy. Surrender your song. You just stand and say, ah, if God be for me, who can be against me? Amen. He's at my right hand. I will not be moved. Why? I'm not standing in my strength. By standing upon the covenant of his great and precious promises. <clears throat> David realized his covenant is very important. Because giants will come in different shapes and different sizes. And some giants we're going to see topple down. Other giants that we can kind of walk through that giant of a problem. But we walk through it by the grace and the strength that God gives us. So we can go through it like people that know God. Can you say Amen. It's important that I realize that the Bible, this story tells us that David knew it. He realized this covenant. He knew it. He accepted it. He believed it. And he acted upon it. That covenant belonged to all those men. There was a day Saul remembered that. Saul had fallen. There was a day some of those soldiers would have responded. They had the covenant. They didn't really accept it. And they certainly didn't act on it. Hallelujah. But now secondly, David not only realized his covenant, David remained under cover. David remained under cover. Under cover of his authority, of his assignment, and of his anointing. It's very important that we position ourselves For God's blessing and favor and grace to flow in our lives. Like we said earlier, don't make it hard for God to bless you. Have you ever tried to mentor someone or disciple someone and you just want to shake them and say, Hey, why are you making it so hard for God to bless you? If you just put some things in order, this blessing flows. You know what I mean? You don't got to work it up. That that river will flow if you get out of its way with damming up the flow. Amen? But but if you're going to... Let's watch this. This is the importance of positioning myself for the blessing. See, you can be God's child, but be out of position in your attitude, in your understanding, in your action. Things like that can hinder or really begin to lessen, stop the flow of God's grace. Short circuit the working of God in your life. You say, why am I wheel spinning? I'm really trying to give the effort, but for some reason I'm really not going anywhere. 
And the same way, if we get things in line, it, it flows. But let me give you some examples. There are ways that though we love God, that though we are children of God, we are in covenant with God, yet by what we do, we can hinder and actually resist the blessing of God. When I'm fighting a giant, I don't need to be shooting myself in the foot. Can you say amen? But when I'm facing something, I mean, typically I got in that mess because I did something dumb. I need to stop and I need to reposition, recalibrate, call it what you want. But I've got to position my heart, my mouth, and my actions so that I can be in flow with God. For example, for example, some of you are looking at me quizzical. We'll do a little Bible lesson. For example, you know 1 Peter 3 and 7 says, Men, if you don't treat your wife right, God's not going to answer your prayers. But I'm a Christian. I prayed in Jesus' name. God said, I don't care what name you're praying. If you don't treat that girl like I treat my church, you and I are going to have problems. And I'm not going to listen to you. First Peter 3 and 7, it's in the book. Write it down. Read it and weep, man. Read it and weep. God says, if you do not treat that wife like I want you to treat her, if you're ugly to her, I'm going to be ugly to you. And you're going to pray and I'm not going to answer. And God says, there you go. Secondly, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 6, He actually said that... Um, if, if I don't forgive others, God won't forgive me. That if I refuse to forgive others, you're saved. Isn't that wonderful? I'm saved. But I've got messes in my life because I'm holding grudges against others. And God says, if you're going to hold a grudge against them, I'm going to hold a grudge against you. And I don't know about anyone else. I need God's forgiveness. I need it twice a day. Amen. Three times on Sunday. Amen. I mean, I need God's forgiveness. I need it to flow. If there's anything I need in life, I need mercy. I need lots of it. And God said, if you're not going to give it, guess what? The flow of mine to you is going to be hindered. And you know, when you're not forgiven, you get frustrated. When you're not forgiven, you, you get anxious. When you're not forgiven, you get agitated. Come on, say amen. Terrible thing to walk around guilty. I know it's been a long time since anyone's guilty, but anyone, anyone remember what it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's terrible to feel guilty. You don't have any real faith. You don't have any real confidence. You're kind of stepping back instead of stepping in. You know, King Saul gives us a lesson. We're talking about the importance of positioning ourselves. Because many times, we're fighting the giant. The first thing I want to do when a giant shows up is make sure everything's right here. Isn't that right? There's no point in me casting out the demon of Durant if I'm the one that's been talking ugly about my brother or sister, being a critic, I need to get to my altar and say, Lord, forgive me. Because you know what? I've done some things that are hindering your flow. But I'm going to look at that thing and I'm going to say, Lord, King Saul gives us that scripture we all remember, to obey is better than sacrifice. We get that through King Saul's rebellion. We all remember that. King Saul disobeyed God's clear command. And it brought God's resistance instead of God's smile. He thought he knew better and he did things his own way and kind of ignored what he knew God had really said and tried to make excuses and justify. But God says, listen, I don't need your sacrifice. I want your obedience. And we learn from that. We can go on. How many know the Bible says that God, God he, he, he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble? So when I position my life with, um, with, with, with some kind of pride or some kind of arrogance, God says, I'll, just, I'll do this to you. But when I see humility, 
it, it's attractive to me. And my grace draws near to the person of a humble heart that obeys me and submits to me. So it's important now when, um, on Wednesday nights when we do Bible study, what do we like to use as an example for this, for this spiritual principle? You might have a kink in your hose. You ever out there um, washing the car and everything's going good and, and you got that faucet, you got it on full bore and you know around here you got plenty of water. Never lack of water around here. Amen. Wait a couple hours, we're going to get another deluge. Amen. I mean, plenty of water and you're doing good and, and all of a sudden it stops. Drip, drip, drip. Now you know you got plenty of water. You just been washing it. You know you turned it on full bore. And you look and behind you and in further examining, you find out I got a kink in my there's something hindering the flow of God's blessing, favor, and mercy. Now we're gonna yell at the car this is dirty. We're gonna curse the ground because it's not giving up water. But there's always plenty of water in heaven. Can you say amen? And it's not that person's fault out there. Something in my life, something in my attitude, something has put a kink in my hose and has hindered the flow of God's grace. That's why the Bible teaches, let a man examine himself. Search me, O God, and see. Because no matter how loud I pray and how much I pray in tongues and how many promises I want to stand on and be real firm about or talk about what I've done 20 years ago, God says, if you've got things in your life that are grieving my spirit, you're going to have a kink in your holes and you're going to wonder, why aren't things working? Why am I trying but it just doesn't seem to break through? Why is it I'm seemingly doing things right and my tired? Why isn't that next blessing coming? It could be. That you've gotten out of position for the Lord's blessing to flow freely in your life. David remained undercover. The first thing he remained undercover, notice these three areas. The first place he remains undercover is under his authority. He's obeying his father. How is David even in this place to begin with? Obeying the command, the lowly command really. Obeying the command of his father. The defining moment in David's life that really catapults him into national prominence and really begins to unfold God's working in his life that brings him to the throne starts out when David just simply obeys a simple, not very glorious command of his earthly father. Go up there and bring some food to your brothers and find out what's going on. That's what little boys do. And David didn't say, that's not good enough for me. Don't you know I've been anointed to be king? David didn't say, forget it, I don't got time for that. David, again, we, we try to see all these things work out. And we talk about God orchestrating our lives. But he does not do that without our cooperation. He orders our steps, but he does that as we submit to his word and yield to his spirit. So God says, number one, one thing that you do in your life, if you want to see my blessing, is make sure that you're positioned under your authority, that you're obeying, you're submitting in the places you need to submit. We understand the Bible teaches that we cannot wield authority if we're not under authority. And we see in David's life, this very act of disobeying dad, positions him and brings him into his place of destiny with Goliath. This is the very thing that orchestrates him for God to bring forth that great God-ordained battle 
that will cause men to look at him like they never looked at him before. And in David's life, we see he positioned himself, not only with his father, later on with King Saul. And King Saul was anything but a loving mentor and a godly example. But even in that time that David was under Saul, he didn't start throwing the spears back. He didn't start, um, no, no, he stayed in submission. He let God deal with the anointing. He wouldn't do all these things. And God even used an ungodly king to work in David's life. One way we position ourselves for the blessing to flow in our lives is by submitting or humbly humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand. And typically the way humbling myself under God's mighty hand works out in reality is by submitting to the earthly authorities God has put into our lives. One president back in the 90s said to his wife, he said, being president is kind of like running a cemetery. There are a lot of people under you, but nobody's listening. It's not bad to say, God's over me, but are we listening? It's one thing to say, I submit to the Lord, but are we obeying? It's one thing to say, you know, God is my Father, but are we being obedient sons? When we see the life of Jesus, He was always, He submitted to the Father. He submitted to earthly parents. He even submitted to many of the cultures His day. And He was the Son of God. He got baptized. He said, fulfill righteousness. It's the right thing to do. So we learn from this, number one, under he positioned himself. Number one, God won't bless a rebel. If you're 15 or 105, God doesn't bless rebels. You can quote the Bible back and forth, God doesn't bless rebels. You can run to uh, uh, obey is better than sacrifice, and rebellion is like, come on, witchcraft. I'll leave that sermon for another day, but you study that one out. And that all get you to your knees. Now, so that teaches, I want to honor my parents. Honor my parents. I'm going to honor teachers and bosses, civil, spiritual, family authorities. I'm not going to blame authorities for my problems. That comes from the flesh. That doesn't come from the spirit. God even uses civil authorities that aren't godly to bless us as we, unto the Lord, work faithfully and properly. I'm under my authority. I'm faithful giving myself to my assignment. That's the next thing that is going is to position me. I'm faithfully giving myself to my assignment. I need to be in the right place, but then I need to be doing the right thing. We learn from the Bible that if I'm faithful in the little that God gives me, that positions me for greater things that God will give me and allow me to have. It's like that one little boy, um, and I think about this, but sometimes we, 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 we'll be faithful when we like what God wants us to do. But then we get a half-hearted effort if we're not into it. And we wonder, why isn't my big break coming? And God's just standing back shaking his head. I can't get you to church on Sunday. You want to preach? Are you kidding me? I'm just going to talk in my life. You can all apply it to your own business. Right? Why, why can't I have this ministry? And God said, you can't pass out bulletins in the back. You're too good for that. You're going you're gonna to run a, a men's ministry. You see what we're getting at? Say amen, say ouch. But sometimes we've got to teach the Bible like it is. Amen. There's no sense in just jacking everyone up. You walk out there and you haven't been changed. We talk about positioning ourselves. I position myself by submitting to the authorities God has placed in my life. The delegated authorities God's ordained it. I'm going to obey my parents and be a good son. 
I got, I got bosses. I've got teachers. I've got civil, spiritual family authority. And I'm to submit to that. Properly as unto the Lord. But then not only am I under them, I'm going to faithfully do what God's asked me to do. I'm not just going to do it wholeheartedly if it's something I'm into. But if God has said, this is what I want you to do, I need to give it a quality effort. See? Because the Bible is very clear. It's only when I'm faithful and little that God will grant me. That God will grant me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to be faithful with my assignment. That thing that God has put in my hand. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to be doing. It's like the Sunday school teacher. She taught that little class about the different characteristics of God. And when she got to the omnipotence of God, that's the all-powerfulness of God, and she taught her little kids how God created the heavens and earth. He just spoke how He raised the dead, how He parted the Red Sea, how He put down the manna, how God can do anything. And he finally ended the class. She says, all right, kids, all right. Now, is there anything God can't do? And it was quiet. And then little Johnny, it's always little Johnny. Little Johnny raised his hand. She was a little disappointed because she said, oh, man, he missed it. He missed it. If you ever preach or ever been a teacher, sometimes you pour out your heart and they miss it. And you say, oh, Lord, how can they miss it? Little Johnny, all right, little Johnny, what is it that God can't do? And he responds, God can't please everyone. God can't please everyone. I know you wouldn't do this, but I'll confess for myself. There's been a time or two I said, Lord, I think I could have done that better my way. Don't look all pious now. Amen. Now, God, if you would have done it this way, I'd give 110%. I'd do it with joy. But seeing you're going to do it that way, well, I don't want to go to hell. I'll show up. I won't be happy about it. Undercover in his authority, in his assignment. Let's listen to this. I'm, I'm picking it up. I want you to hear this. There's many times we find ourselves spinning our tires. And we try this, we try that, we run after this hotshot preacher. We see something on TV and we send them our money, which they don't need anyhow. And, and, and really, I need to look more at me and examine, am I out of position for the blessing to flow? Am I making it hard for God to bless me? As we are faithful to the present assignment, to the present place or opportunity, the present command, then we qualify ourselves for promotion to the next assignment, to the next advancement. And it might have been seemingly insignificant what David was asked to do, but it showed his heart and it showed the pattern of his life. And though it seemed insignificant running a little errand, someone that was anointed to be king, it winds up changing the course of history. It it turns terrible embarrassment and defeat to victory and triumph. It took David from being really obscurity to now God tests him in the mundane. God tests him in something so insignificant, so below someone anointed as Samuel to be king. But David never questioned. He just did what he was told to do. Because he had a heart after God. And that heart's after God. Served God. And he was serving God. And that little incident. How did David? He never knew. Who would imagine? That little act was going to catapult you. It was going to position you. It was part of God's hand orchestrating. How many things have we missed? Because we weren't where God wanted us to be. Wondering. And as decades go by, 
He goes from delivering cheese and getting some communication to chopping off the giant's head and turning away the reproach from God and His people and actually rallying the troops. But you see at the end of the story, those that were fearful all of a sudden received courage and they climbed out of their foxholes saying we're more than conquerors too, David. We're going to follow after your lead. To position ourselves for promotion will demand an excellent effort in what I'm presently assigned to do. Even if it's not the ultimate thing I want to do. It's part of the process. It's part of the discipline. It's part of the development. So let us stay focused on our present task and do it as unto the Lord. Don't get bored with the process. Don't get puffy considering too good for the assignment. And remember, as you're being faithful in the place God has called you, as you're giving that quality effort in the thing God has assigned and God has given you. Remember, number one, that David's victory didn't happen overnight. And we see later on he talks about what he had to go through and various things as God developed him and God proved him. And God, God he went through um, um, seasons of development. He went through lions and bears, lambs he had to rescue, lonely and little tasks he had to fulfill when nobody was looking. But again, Matthew 25, when I'm faithful and little, it's when God will grant me more. So remember that we don't get there overnight, but it's progressively. And if I stop obeying God, I stop my progress. If I stop giving myself faithfully to what God has put in my hand, I hinder the flow. But second, I want you to remember that there will always be people that will, whether it's conscious or unconscious, there will always be people, whether they mean it or not, that will attempt to distract or knock you off course. We don't have time to read all the Scriptures, but as soon as David starts saying, Hey! Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? His brother, his older brother hears it and starts rebuking him, making fun of him. David, hush up. Your motives are impure. You don't, you're just here to be a big shot. His own brother. God has ordained David. He's getting ready to take down the giant and lead people into Israel into victory. He's getting ready to get a big step towards the ultimate of being the king of God's people. And the biggest challenge he has is in Goliath, his own brother. Own brother. And then finally, when he gets to King Saul, what does Saul say? <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. You're just a kid. So remember, there will always be people that will try to, whether they mean it or not, discourage us from believing, obeying, and advancing in God. And we have to learn, when we make up our minds to go wholeheartedly with the Lord, we have to make up our minds and say, God, Give me the ability to know what to fight and what to ignore. What to fight and what to ignore. He had to ignore his brother's criticism. He had to ignore Saul's unbelief and his his doubt and his negativity. Wow. Some people just don't understand faith. Some get jealous of it. But either way, Lord, help me to know what to ignore and what to address. Even Jesus had to learn this. 
You remember that story where he was going to Jairus' house to raise his daughter. Amen. You remember the story? He's on his way going there and he has an interruption. The woman with the issue of blood presses through the crowd. I mean, this is a desperate thing. This little girl is dying. Quick, hurry, come. And all of a sudden, a, a woman presses through and, and, and she <laughs> halts everything up. There's a delay in the deliverance. And Jesus stops and He lets the woman give testimony how virtue healed her. And just as they get going again, people come from the house and they say, and, and you'll read it in your devotional times, but they say, hey, um, Jarius, don't tell Jesus. Don't bother Him anymore. She's dead. Don't bother Him. Tell Him to go away. And the Bible says, Mark 5, in fact, put it up there if you would. Mark, Mark's Gospel, the fifth chapter, 35 and 36. While Jesus was still speaking, He's speaking to the woman with the issue of blood who got healed. They're talking, they're giving. He's saying, boy, according to your faith, your faith healed you. Some men come from the house of Jairus, says your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Remember, there's some things we need to ignore and there's certain things we need to address. David could have went fighting his brother and said, how dare you say that about me? You're always picking on me. That's why I never get anywhere in life. It's your fault. He would have missed his divine calling. Just don't argue with people that aren't worth arguing with. Amen? Just let them go back to their own existence. you got a giant with your name on it that God wants to use you to bring down. Can you say amen? And Saul, well, Saul, don't you got to watch these preachers that have lost the anointing. Don't listen to them too much either. There was a day Saul would have put that armor on. He would have went out there and he would have whooped that giant. There was a day Saul walked in that power. There was a day he was leading Israel into their victories. But since then he got old, he lost it somewhere. And now all he wanted to do is criticize the young one that was coming up. Another story for another day. Go ahead and put that up there, Jimmy. And Jesus says, Why bother the teacher anymore? And Jesus says in verse 36, ignoring what they said. See, sometimes Jesus ignores. We got to know what to ignore. We got to know what to address. He says to the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid. Just believe. Wow. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus went to that cross and he killed that giant of death, hell, and the grave. He went to that cross and killed that giant of sin's hold and sin's curse on our lives. When you study the life of Jesus, you'll see all throughout that journey, there were temptations. There were people that tried to distract Him. He's in the temptation. And the enemy says basically, hey, um, serve yourself. Don't serve men. If you're hungry, just tell the bread. Just tell the rocks to become bread. And then Peter says, don't serve yourself, pity yourself. Mark, Matthew 16, he says, listen, Jesus, Jesus, don't talk about the cross. You're not going to go to the cross. Oh, my Lord. There's his own family in John 7. said, Jesus, go show yourself. Don't worry about the Father's timing. Just make it happen on your own. Don't submit to the Father. Just show yourself. Jesus said, my time hasn't come. And then on that cross, remember the crowd? said, save yourself. Come down from that cross. But praise God, Jesus, He came and gave Himself. He overcame that giant. When you're going to overcome the giants in your life, there are going to be things that try to distract you and things that hinder you and things that keep you from proper focus and proper submission 
and proper faithfulness of the task God has given you to do. Very quickly, very quickly, and I'll finish that last thought. The authority, the assignment, and the anointing, and the anointing. Wow, the anointing. Let me just, I've got to summarize this. And this is, a, this is a lesson all by itself. I want you to get this. I want you to get this. All right, so, so David, David's there. And finally Saul, Saul he talks Saul into it. Amen? All right, go out, son. Take my armor. Saul says, take my armor. Remember that? David, he, he tries the armor on, maybe he looks at the armor, and he says these words. He says, listen, I can't use your armor. They're not comfortable. They aren't proven. But there is a sling. I want you to know there are different ways to topple a giant. And when I talk about he was undercover in his anointing, it's important when we face the giants of life, follow me, when we face the giants of life, that we fight them in the way God has anointed us to fight giants. There's more than one way to kill a giant. How many know that? In fact, when we study the Word of God, it says in 2 Corinthians, um, I think it's 6 and 7. Well, why don't you show it to us, Jimmy? And, and it says, in truthful speech, in power of God, with weapons. Notice, weapons, S. Weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. And what I'm saying is, when you fight a giant, now, I'm not saying God always does the same thing over and over, but usually, if you've walked with God, you know this. There are certain promises you're more comfortable with standing on. For whatever reason, certain promises. There are certain ways of spiritual battle you're more comfortable in fighting your giant. You can't try to be someone else. Yes, be led of the Spirit. Yes, blah, blah, blah. But if you're honest and you fought this devil more than once and you've walked with God, you will recognize. I mean, there's some people and they have a giant of a problem. They can just put on the praise music and, and walk the house for an hour or two singing praises to God and just get in and see victories. There's others. I'm going to sing for an hour. We're going to get in a closet and we're going to get loose in tongues for about 30 minutes, an hour, and we're going to go until we feel victory. There's others. You simply go to certain promises that God has put in your heart and you stand firm on those promises. There are different ways Make sure when you're facing your giant, don't try to be like this one, don't try to be like that one, but reach back and recognize. For example, some can go to Psalms 46 and 10. Be still and know that I am God. And they have a real faith that faces problems and it's not very demonstrative, it's not very outwardly enthusiastic, but it's sincere and it's real and they stand against that thing, trusting God, knowing that God will be exalted, standing on that promise. Other people might run over to James 5 that says the fervent prayer of a righteous man of El is much. And like Elijah, they might have more confidence when a problem comes. Leave me alone. Let me go in the room for about an hour and let me pray through till I know something's taking place. And they go and they have victory in that. When you're facing a giant, you can't wear someone else's armor. you got to know I see David. That's all. Now that armor don't feel good, but I'll tell you what. When I get a sling in my hand, oh, Rashakata. My Lord, it feels good. It rem- I got some testimony with a sling. Bears go down. Oh, I've seen God come on a sling. Ah, ah, I seem to have good success when I put a stone in a sling. And I feel, and it's important to know the weapons of righteousness that God gives you success with. 
There are different ways to topple your giant. Yes, you want to listen to the voice of the Spirit, but sometimes He'll change things up on you. But what you'll see in your consistent walk with God, there are certain things. Just in life, we have more faith. For whatever reason, that promise just blesses me. For whatever reason, I have a greater confidence in that. There are certain promises right now that if I ask you, what's your favorite promise? We'd have a lot of different promises here, but for whatever reason, those promises bless you. Then they move your faith, and when you have a problem, you stand on those promises. For whatever the reason is, you know what to stand on. If you have a problem, typically some people, I want a prayer of agreement. I'm going to call a friend. We're going to pray together. Other people, I don't need no nobody. Just leave me alone and let me get alone and fight this thing out. Just give me some time. I'm going to fight it out. And when I get done, there's going to be a breakthrough. I'm not coming out. Amen? Uh, other people, listen, I'm just going to stand on a promise and God is going to believe. And, and hallelujah. David was under his anointing. Do you know where your anointing lies? Do you know what works for you when it comes to fighting off that devil? That might be the problem right now. Someone don't know what their sling is. Do you know where your faith lies? There's different ways. As long as it's a biblical way, it's fine. You see what I'm getting at? Not, not, not everyone. And now I know God's not going to do the same thing all the time, but you'll notice as you walk with God. You'll notice as you walk with God. Isn't that right? I got some of them, I got some of the older saints. Tell them a problem. They're going to call two or three of their other older saints, and they're going to pray. And those three get done praying. They're going to move heaven. They're going to move hell. They're going to move anything in the way. An answer's coming. Uh, other people, they're going to work. God's going to give them a word. God's going to give them a promise. And they're just going to calmly but very confidently say, the Bible says, believe God. Wow. And mountains will be moved. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. God wants to teach us some components of giant killing that sometimes get overlooked in this familiar story, this encouraging story of David and Goliath. The first one was he realized he was a covenant man. And if you're a child of God, recognize you belong to the living God. And there are promises you can stand on. There are privileges you can embrace. And you can stand firmly in front of that giant. But secondly... There's no point in us making all this noise if there's something in us that's out of position from receiving God's blessing. Amen? Can I make it simple? I'll make it simple. I don't want to get too complicated here. You've worked in financial planning a lot of years. Amen? You ever see someone, their finances are a mess. And the first thing you want to ask them, well, do you give to God? Well, every now and again when I can afford to. And you're trying to say, and you're going to ask me why everything's falling apart? You're out of position. You say, husband and wife, we got problems. And you overhear them talking to each other. You say, my Lord, surprised you don't got more than problems. Surprised you don't got handcuffs at this point. Are you guys crazy? You can't talk like that and have the peace of God in your home. You can't treat one another like that and have shalom. Have the shalom. Of God and rest in your home. So the second thing is, I want to remain undercover. I want to remain undercover in my authority. Who's your authority? 
Don't be a rebel. We live in a rebellious age. People have all excuses to be rebellious. Right, left, regardless. Republican, Democrat. Rebels, rebels. A lot of rebels. That'll grieve the spirit. So let's make sure I'm under the cover of my authority, but also of my assignment. Are you doing what God's called you to do? Are you serving Him faithfully where He's put you? Have you found your place in the church to serve? And your family, your community, are you serving God? And then the anointing. When it comes time to fight that battle, what is it that stirs your faith? What do these spiritual things really give you confidence? Use it. Use it again. Use it again. David in that sling. Use it again. Amen. We're going to pray and then we'll open the altar. Hallelujah. You can tell I'm in no hurry. I got no family. I got preach till five. I got nothing. I got nothing. They're all they're all gone. It's just it's me and Bub. So that's it. They were gone. So I can I can. Uh, I'm just I'm just a lonely bachelor here. I preach I preach till next service. But I want you to know you can defeat your giants. But I think we need to do our part in order to experience that. I'm going to pray the blessing, and then if you want to come and receive prayer, if you need prayer, come. We'll pray with you. Or if you just want to pray, come and pray. Father, we want to thank you that your word gives us not only stories that encourage us, because it's encouraging. Folks, some of us have been encouraged, Father, since we're children with this great story of David and Goliath. Some of us, we can remember some of the earliest stories in Sunday school, hearing about David and his smooth stones. And it does encourage us. But, Father, we thank you that beyond encouragement, you give us insights, instructions, secrets, keys, that we can follow this man after your own heart. And we can imitate his faith. And we can apply some of these things to our lives and our battles so we can see the victory, so we can walk in your favor like David did. Now, Father, we thank You that we're a covenant people. We thank You for the many, many, many rich and wonderful promises You've given us. We choose to believe them. We choose to embrace them. We choose to respond to them. But, Lord, we also search our own hearts and make sure that we have positioned our lives where You can bless us as You desire, where Your favor and grace can flow freely. There's nothing in us that's hindering the working of your mighty hand. We choose to humble ourselves under your mighty hand that you might lift us up in due time, that you might give us the grace for need for every battle and every trial. And now, Father, as we come to this altar, heal those that need healing, refresh those that need refreshing, Speak a word of wise counsel to those that are searching for answers, that are looking for insights. And Lord, I just pray that for all that would look to You, You'd allow the showers of Your Spirit to refresh, to revive. That all the rain of the Spirit of God would take away the weariness and give new joy and new strength. That there'd be peace that overwhelms. That there'd be rest that is imparted. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless this time at the altar.
Touch your people and glorify your name, we pray. And all God's people said, let's sing this through. And if you need prayer, come and let God touch you and let God minister to you and let God speak to your heart.